This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello, Sharida. Hi, Jason. How are you? You look quite ethereal there, Sharida. You know, do you have do you have Vaseline on the lens there or something? No, I'm a shy camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking Captain Kirky, am I? No, I'm, you look fabulous. Well, thank you very much. So do you? Mm. Getting through it all. Stop. Oh yes, how are you doing? Sharita, seriously, I'm not making this up. Oh. I just turned off my dishwasher and it just turned on and turned off again there. That's the kind of stuff that happens when you watch. No, joke. don't joke about it. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go and I'll be right back. Seriously, this is not funny. Oh, Everyone's gonna think this is a joke. It's not a joke. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> no one's. No one's gonna believe me. I swear to God. Stop. That's freaky. It's brilliant, I love it. <laughs> it. It bears saying that I live in a really old house with three stories high. And I'm here on my own this evening with cats. So you don't live with cats? Yes. Well, they, we don't know. You live in a, in a council estate in East London. I need raspberry tea now. Seriously, if that comes on again, I'm leaving the house. It can follow you outside the house and into oh, the mm. It was. I'm. I'm really interested. Okay, in this episode, to interview you about Ghost Watch, because you experienced it when it happened, and I. I did not. Yes, I did. I was eleven years of age. So, growing up in Beha, which is in Banslow, it's a small little kind of village that we lived in there was a lot of kids and my dad used to get fireworks which are illegal in Ireland (laughs) (laughs) but um it was a big thing and we had a big bonfire which is probably also illegal in Ireland and uh, we used to burn tires and old mattresses or whatever other stuff was going around and we used to start building that bonfire at the end of the summer and we burnt down the neighbor's field and we would have a rival village that was across two fields where they'd have a tiny but ours was like huge and we'd always have a competition with fireworks as well and we always felt that we won they always felt that they won we'd go trick-or-treating and we were all back and safe in our beds by nine o'clock that evening oh and so in 1992 it wasn't unusual that we were in our pajamas and we were allowed to eat one piece of like candy, basically, is what our American listeners would call it. But we were allowed to have one sweet before we went to bed. However, this night was a special treat because BBC had this live kind of a documentary where they were going to try and get some capture some evidence of ghosts, right? Now, there's a long family history of us being interested in ghosts and hauntings. And needless to say, I was incredibly interested in this. So myself and my younger brother and my dad were watching this when my mother was pretending not to notice in the kitchen. <laughs> I 100% thought it was real. My brother 100% thought that it was real. 
my father 100% thought that it was real until kind of towards the very, very end. But he was as like, oh my God, as everyone else was at the time. Like we were just, because we were in Ireland, we didn't have access to the phone line. But if we did, we would have been ringing like left, right, center, like, you know, telling stories or whatever. This um, was like a, I heard it called a, a horror pseudo documentary. It's not a mockumentary. It's not, it's presented as if it's reality TV. Now, the BBC has a long history of doing stuff like this. So they had like, the, the most famous example, and it wasn't BBC, was like when Orson Welles broadcast a radio play called War of the Worlds and people started jumping out of buildings. And there was a lot of kind of people, particularly in the Murray Gap time where it was broadcast that genuinely thought that aliens were invading and they were terrified. And then I think it was Panorama in 1957 as an April Fool's joke also had a pseudo documentary where they talked about spaghetti farmers and they had spaghetti hanging off trees. And a lot of people believed that spaghetti was harvested off trees. So in 1992, when Michael Parkinson, who everyone believed was like a very reputable kind of presenter, I'm trying to think, Tracy, who would be the person today that we would say would be like Michael Parkinson? Well, I mean, he'd be up there, but if, if there was something about an incredible physical phenomenon and it was a major, major hoax, you'd want Richard or David Attenborough to be on board. Yeah. But and I'm trying time, to think, journalist-wise, medically, Dr. Fauci. Yes, you see, this is this is exactly it. Like, it's very hard to pick one particular person because it's different now than what it was back in the day. But Michael Parkinson used to have this talk show where literally every current affairs issue was discussed and he was a serious journalist. But he also did lighter kind of fluffy pieces and personal pieces. So you really didn't anticipate. When you saw him, it had a kind of an authentic feel to it. Like he wouldn't be involved in some nonsense and he certainly isn't an actor so like what's going on and he's there in the studio and he's with this other person and i think her name was dr lynn pascoe <laughs> and she was the expert and she had studied this particular case which was actually based on the enfield poltergeist and we'll be coming back to that it was based on the the enfield poltergeist loosely based on that so it was the haunting of a woman and her two children, and one of those children was reaching puberty. It was in on an estate. It was a really good setup. They had phone lines set up, and the phone line that was used, the, the same phone line that was used for Crime Watch, where you'd report crimes, it was the same studio, and it was the same phone line. And they had like a, a phone watch presenter, or like a phone line presenter, who was this guy who was called Mark Smith. And he was married to Sarah Green, who was the reporter who did a phenomenal, a phenomenal job on this. This was incredible um, on Ghostwatch. By the way, we are reviewing Ghostwatch. We never said that already. I don't think. <laughs> so she was in the house along with, from time, she was there with the kids and she was there with the cameraman and somebody else who was doing sound. And I've forgotten the name. One of them is called Mark. I can't remember the other guy. I think off the top of my head, it might be Chris or something like that. Um, so the three of those very small crew were actually in the house along with two children and occasionally with the mother as well. And as the events of the evening unfold, Sarah Green was like the, the in-house reporter. But then you had Craig Charles as well, who was like the urban cool, like down with the youth kind of guy. And he was out on the estate getting all the stories about the strange happenings and occurrences in the estate and had a few other experts as well. So you see her, you see Sarah Green going into the house and there's this kind of sense of yeah this is they're not going to see anything this is grand whatever 
So very importantly, it should be said that this was not broadcast until 25 minutes past nine. And at that time, as it is now, nine o'clock was the watershed. And it was broadcast in a drama slot. But despite that, it had the look and the feel of a genuine like reporting kind of like it wasn't it like an investigation and it but it's like important before we go blow by blow it's important to give this some kind of mass importance because everybody's probably thinking what's the big deal like this happens every day now firstly it ne- it hadn't really happened before not like this but it caused such a huge amount of fallout tens of thousands of calls you know, complaints to the bbc people getting PTSD. I mean, we can talk about the major stuff later, but I mean, it didn't air again for 10 years. Such was the impact of this show, the terror. Yeah. No, there was a closely guarded secret. Um, I had never seen it, so I just saw it for the first time yesterday. How did you feel? It was interesting. You know, you know me, so you know that I, I laugh, belly laughed my way through it. Like, so I, I love a good scare, but... Um, I was looking at it from a completely different perspective because I was looking at it thinking, oh, this is obviously a hoax, but they did it very well at the time. So something would happen that if I were watching it at 11, I would have been scared out of my skin. But because I'm watching it now, years later, I'm kind of thinking, oh, that's so funny. But that would have terrified me before. But I was watching back kind of on YouTube, a lot of people who saw it when they were kids saying that even now they rewatch it and they, they're still terrified. I was scared watching it. <laughs> I was you? watching it last night. I was in the house on my own. I had my dog with me. I was like, why am I so scared? <laughs> <laughs> and there would be a noise outside. I was like, it's <laughs> kind of any kind of unexplained noises, like your dishwasher just going off just there. Um, you would get that kind of just a chill, you know. But for years afterwards, I disliked cats <laughs> <laughs> and oh. I stayed away from cats um no but it did it, it like really and I had dreams about cats cats clawing at my skin and uh, I, I only figured out when I was watching this this is where this came from right so I had this reoccurring dream of a cat clawing at my skin um but anyway <clears throat> that's all kind of out of context it's just so well done it really is it's like they have we kind of interject these bits of yes scientific and we've got evidence-based practice and we're doing tests and we've done tests to do this and we've done tests to do that and you know, it's like we have experts on the ground well, what do you anticipate that we're going to see today well, we might not see anything we might not see anything and but we're hoping that we might see like a gust of wind you know this kind of like you know yeah the anticipations were very low but they did have michael parkinson repeat a few times if your children are watching this, they shouldn't be watching it. They need to go to bed straight away. You know, and they had kind of like these public warnings engineered into the script. But the script, the whole thing was completely a drama that was written by this guy, Stephen Walt, from beginning to end. When he originally pitched it to the BBC, he had envisaged that it was going to be a six-part drama series. But one of the producers kind of went, no, 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 we'll do it with real, like, legitimate people. We'll set up a phone line and everything and we'll do it like we'll do it as real a contemporary horror story as we can get it has aged there's no doubt it has aged but it, like for me anyway it hasn't lost its impact some of it is funny some of it is actually scary well the, he pitched it as a six-part series and then they said we will do one we'll do a, a special instead of a six-part and that's when he said can we 
the last episode in the series was set up as an in-studio live event. So let's just do that as a standalone. So that's how they kind of did that. But I thought it was really interesting with the experts because every so often, first of all, the doctor, doctor was mentioned so many times, doctors that studied this, and then the sound audio file came back of the possession. And yeah. uh, and she said, well, you know, the University of Cambridge analyzed this for us. And then that's what, and then two sentences later, they talked about something else. Oh, it was about the broken crockery. And Michael yeah. Parkinson said, so what do you think happened here? And she said, well, we had the army analyze this for us. So it's like yeah. every time that, you know, people are watching going, oh my God, the army are in on this. Yeah. The army yeah. did this. This is real. They played on every fear, every horror movie you've ever seen. They took all the, the just the right elements from everything to make it seem plausible. Yeah, it, it was, it really was so legit, legit. Like everything from the casting, the fact that there was a, a like a, a husband and wife couple on the team, and as things started to progress, and there was fear over Sarah's safety. Like Mark was like going, "What's going on? Where's the life feed? I'm going to go down there now." You know this kind of thing. <laughs> there was like false starts. There was like at one point, one of the kids is actually caught on camera, and she's kind of trying to make these banging noises because that's why all these people are here, and she feels the pressure, and then. Right after that, you're kind of going, oh, thank God, it's a hoax, Asher. It's fine. Nothing's actually happened. And you get this sense of security that you do not feel after that for the rest of the show. Because it's like 40 minutes in, nothing has really happened. But then Greg Charles is out and he's interviewing somebody on the estate. They start talking about a dog that has been found in a very horrible way on the estate. And from that moment on, all chaos starts to break loose in a kind of a drip feed. Oh, yeah, we're just going back to the studio. Oh, no, Sarah's just told us we're going to interrupt now. We have to just cut back and there's something after happening in the house. Oh, there's a wet carpet. Oh, my God, there's a wet carpet. And then they go <laughs> to the doctor and say, we're going to analyze this to see whether it's just water or tap water or if it's indeed something else. <laughs> so it was just so beautifully written, so very well tied together. Yeah, I know, big production team. And it would never work today because of social no. media. Because as soon as it would come out, there'd be somebody saying, this is a hoax, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. And it was long before the days of our jadedness with with reality TV. So it, there's no way it could work. So it's of its time and it's brilliant for that reason. But also interesting that they didn't air it for a decade. Because... Yeah so many things happened of course and, and some serious stuff happened somebody committing suicide as well who was traumatized right. by the right. show so they couldn't air it uh but but they did it was i really enjoyed it really i didn't um skip forward on anything it was an hour and a half long i think about 90 minutes yeah. so just like a movie i just saw so many movies in it you know whether it's the halloween and the mike myers and the don't fall asleep. So Nightmare on Elm Street, and you know, obviously Poltergeist. So many of them. I oh, I do have one major objection though, Sharita. Oh, oh. Yes, because you know they talk about the adolescent who is prepubescent. Yeah, well, I've got a problem with that because, you know, through the years as women, you know, we're we're getting our periods and we're we have to go through all the hormonal changes and whatever, and here I am now hurtling toward menopause. So do I have to be worried about a poltergeist entering me on top of everything else with the hot sweats and the hormones um, and the moods? <laughs> oh my God. Like this has to stop these myths. 
that women bring it on themselves? I think that it's a known scientific <laughs> fact that probably Cambridge University and the Army and right. whatever other stuff you want to throw in the WHO have probably said that there's nothing more terrifying than a young girl getting her period. And that has been documented by numerous hauntings by men throughout the years. Uh, we see this, like, you know, once that a woman gets her period, men will run in fear. Obviously. And you know something? There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when it's the, the bears are attracted to the radio station because they hire a woman. This is the kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The women were bad luck on ships and stuff like this. It's built into the canon because mm-hmm. these stories are very old and they didn't understand anything about equality. And it's laughable now at this stage. Unfortunately, it's still happening. Yeah, well, I just, I don't want any poltergeists now because hormonal changes is all I'm saying. Well, what do you think a poltergeist would do? Turn on your dishwasher? Yeah, that's well, what. basically, that's already happened. What if you had a really nice poltergeist that was like, No, well, no, no, thanks. No. Well, I'll take out the bins for you. And <laughs> <laughs> like water. Oh, that might be okay, actually. <laughs> Looking back, do you remember that night? Do you remember... Like go trying to go to bed. Yeah, no, I do. I remember being terrified, um, Mr. Pipes. And because you find <laughs> out that, like, first of all, the whole thing is that there's a man called Mr. Pipes and that he's haunting this house. And that he had, uh, there was a couple of things I didn't like about the actual story itself. But it turns out that when I rewatched it, I understood now, whereas previously I had, that originally there was this mother, what was her name? Mother Shedden or Sheedon. And she had been there originally and she was a childminder who killed a few of the children that she was supposed to be minding. And that she had possessed Mr. Pipes, who was this child molester who committed suicide in that house. And that she was the one who was making him dress up and that she was the one who was making him commit all these crimes. And that the object of the poltergeist attention was actually on the younger girl and not on the older girl and nothing got to do with her coming into um, menstruation or anything like that. Her focus was on killing the younger child. And so when you're watching it now, that makes more kind of sense. But I was always kind of a bit, what is this actually saying about, is this a comment on uh, transvestitism? Is this a comment on something? But it wasn't. It was like a true understanding of what actually the haunting was about. But it did get a little bit, a little bit confusing. Let's say. Well, but, also it was bringing in Psycho, you know, yeah. and Norman Bates yeah. and all of that, which was based on a true story of a murderer who used to dress up in, Again, yeah. in women's clothes and take pieces uh, of their body and stitch them together and skin. Yeah, and yeah. he had the original skin dress that Buffalo mm. Bill had in um, Silence of the Lambs yes. and famously had a nipple belt. A very disturbed man, a very disturbed man, Eggy. Um, so cheers, what, cheers, cheers. What I did find, like obviously there was an awful lot of nostalgia when I watched it back this time. Mm. But what I did find very interesting was that part of it, like the her husband, the woman, the mother in the story, her husband had passed away and they had closed off the kind of downstairs basement area um, because your man used to use it as, I don't know if it was just the room under the stairs or whether it was a downstairs basement. That wasn't entirely clear. Yeah. But he used to use it to develop um, his photographs. And they called it the glory hole. And of course, nowadays, that has a different connotation. So I was getting a great fit of laughter every time. And they mentioned it a few times. Mm. But what I didn't notice before that I notice now is that he does appear like Mr. Pipes appears in the background in reflections and behind curtains and in the background in the studio at different points. And it's so well done. It's just 
That's great. Like, it's just a great Halloween. Like, I overthought that Glory Hole mentions because I was confused. So I was <laughs> listening to it whilst doing something else. And then I was like, why would he spy on his own wife? Like, that's so weird. And then finally I kind of got, oh, no, it means something else <laughs> in the 90s in England. Um, now, I think it was the cupboard under the stairs, I think. And, and why would you, you know, lock yourself in there with all your cats? No, he he had, he the, had died in the, there. Oh, sorry, he, there. the lodger locked himself or lodger, the lodger slash other The family. lodger had died in there. And the cats were with him in the house for 12 days and the cats got hungry. Oh, they weren't in the cupboard specifically? No. Oh, right. Because you, they were in there's, the house. there's a, one of one scene where you hear you hear this recording from behind the door and it's just like all these cats kind of screeching and meowing. And I was like, but that's just cats. But every, everybody was terrified. I just thought and it was it, brilliant. That was, that was the bit that kind of got me was what happened to the dog on the estate? And what happened with mm. cats like those two things i wasn't familiar with either of those things have been the possibility in reality like i was an 11 year old girl you know that kind of way these are things that didn't happen and then the fact that i was aware suddenly that these things could happen and they were so horrific and, and here i find myself like you know i didn't really care about all the things that were happening to the humans but when something happened to the animals i was like oh my god oh my god oh oh yeah <laughs> like, the poor cats the poor cats so strange and they had all the um the phone calls again presented live and everything was pre-recorded so people did tens of thousands of people tried to phone uh the studio and then but then they had preset callers who told their own ghost stories um and all of them again as much as possible which was the clever part of this based in probability or everything you've ever heard about from a ghost story so you know, a woman was visiting in, you know, the Cotswolds in a 17th century house. Everyone goes, but that could happen. That happens every day. And then she, the only part of that story that was uh, in, was weird for me, that she said that she woke up to the sounds, to the sound of a harpsichord. And I thought, how did you know it was a harpsichord? Like if someone were, <laughs> unless they were a classical musician. <laughs> I, I would think it was strange music in the night or something. You know, I thought that was a bit too specific for me. But um, and then, of course, she finds hey, out that it was saying, are echoes. you admitting to our listeners that you don't know what the sound of a harpsichord well, is? Well, no, I do once you mention it. But if I heard it, I would think that's a stringed <laughs> instrument of some kind. It could be a harp. It could be a tiny harp. It could be something Is similar. it not the piano tingly one, though? I think that's it, but... If you had, if you had to pick from ten instruments, would you say that's the harpsichord? No. And if you were awoken from your sleep in the middle of the night facing a ghost, would you I go? I would be thinking initially. Excuse what me, is that a harpsichord you have in your hand there in our seventeenth-century house in the Cotswolds? That's just reminded me. One thing that struck me was the absolute likeness at moments of crisis. Would anybody like a cup of tea? Oh, yes. What's this like? Can I step over this wire here? Um, sorry, Chris. I'm just trying to rush really quickly up towards the stairs. Do excuse me. <laughs> very English. I know. I love how very, very English. It was just so lovely. I thought it added to it, though, the, the cup of tea break because, it, it you know, everyone was just waiting. And they said, oh, you know, I'll just take my two sugars. Background. Like, it was so, oh, I'm just going to go into the kitchen. I'm just going to buy the kettle. And I really wish something was happening. And then 
to the audience, they've just seen like pipes in the reflection. They're all freaked out. And she's like, kind of wish something would happen, you know, like just kind of move things along. <laughs> I know. And then nothing's happening back to you, Michael, in the studio. And then it, he'd go, okay, well, it doesn't appear like anything's happening over there. So let's go to our um, head of skeptic society in our New York studio, who's going to. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And they're, oh, there's a hoax. Oh, I'm so shocked. Well, what can I say? It's a hoax. And oh, that was really funny. Like, yeah. No, science, science. But this is all science. This is science. No, 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 science, science. But this is all science. Do you know what's going on? I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I watched a Q&A with the director afterwards and she was saying that the one person that she had sympathy for was the person who was playing the doctor because Parkinson when he was reading the auto cue was reading reading the auto cue oh, and he had the auto cue voice on him so they decided no just ad lib it and sure he was used to ad lib so he was grand but she had to react of what he was saying and she hadn't a clue what he was going to say so she had like a very hard job on the mic she did a fantastic job she really did. And I thought the mother did a quite a quite good job as well. Sarah Green, for me, is the whole star of the whole show. Like she just kept it going. She had the nineteen eighties fun in her hair. There's a show that we're both familiar with mm. called Treasure Hunt, which was kind of known for there'd be a run there be a woman called Annika Rice and she'd be running ahead of the camera and the cameraman would be taking shots of her bottom, you know, while she was running up the stairs or running down. So poor old Sarah Green was in this position in the house and she did it all with grace and 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 very much so poised even when there was complete chaos you know it's like oh what's happened to the children excuse me do excuse me pardon me you know and maybe once or twice she lost the cool um but eventually she disappeared down the glory hall so like you know <laughs> yeah. what happened there <laughs> and she, she had to come out afterwards because and again this is full of spoiler alerts alerts so we don't need to pretend it's from 1992 um but she apparently gets killed in the episode. So she had to come out the next day and have um, and do all these interviews to say, I'm alive. I didn't see her getting killed in the episode. You don't see her getting killed, but people thought she got killed. Ah, I see. Because she, she didn't turn up at the end to say, I'm okay. That's right. She just disappeared when, when they started deserting the studio. All of a sudden it was Parkinson's own and everyone else kind of dis- like went or whatever. But she, she was... You just she just disappeared off the screen. You don't know where she went, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like because there was because it was done, it wasn't digital. It was all done on basic video and stuff. You had that kind of like Z across the screen, and they used these kind of special effects quite well. And you know, um, the ghost in the machine is another. You know, you know that the, the kind of thing that would happen. Like you know, it was actually in the studio, and that all these people talking about it was like one big massive seance, and that. It was able to play back footage from earlier on the day to give the seeming impression that everything was okay and people were just overreacting and people were so willing to kind of go oh it's fine again now it's fine again now except for dr dr Pascone, who was like no 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 hang on a second now it's not fine it's not i'm very suspicious what's going on you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good watch i think it's definitely mm. one to keep on the list but as you alluded to before there was a massive fallout and actually the British Medical Journal in February of 1994, so this would have been like a year and a bit after it was first aired, they came out and they said that there was two known cases of PTSD in 10-year-old boys, but they seemed to be temporary because they kind of got over it Mm. um, pretty soon after the show had aired. And as you mentioned, one person did actually commit suicide after this. Um, And the BBC, just 
the public outcry over it. Everyone genuinely thought it was real. In terms of good, honest God horror, this is for me one of the best because I experienced it first when I was 11 years of age and I did not know it was a hoax and it was just terrifying. I should not, well, 1980s parenting, what can you say? But I should not have been up at that hour tonight. <laughs> um, but it probably is one of like the reasons why I'm so fascinated with horror even right now, you know? I was just going to ask you that actually. And have you talked to Fergal, your brother, about your memories of it or anything yeah. recently? Well, yeah, yesterday I, I told him, you're never going to guess what I just watched again. And he was like, oh, Mr. Pipes. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, do you remember watching it? And he was like, oh, 100%. Like, it was the best Halloween. It was just the best. It was. It, we were terrified. Wow. It was really good. Like, there's no, a genuine scare for something that you think, because it was so reality based. You know, when you see it now, like people that do all these, rea- like, obviously, I would say if you like this, you're going to like the Blair Witch Project. You're going to like something like Paranormal Activity, um, you know, and they all kind of come back to this seemingly realistic kind of portrayal of what's happening, caught either on the camera, uh, you know, from security cameras or things being caught like on phones and, and stuff like that, like the Chernobyl Diaries or, you know, those kind of a million and one different kind of spin-offs. But they're all kind of under the premise that trying to make it feel as real as it is. There is nothing as real as Ghost Watch because it had not been, well, it had been something similar had been done, but it hadn't been done with legit kind of journalists and presenters that you would have seen. And Sarah Green and Mark Smith were both synonymous with children's entertainment. So it was, it was extra scary that they were involved in this. It was like in the BBC, which is reputable, in the same studio where they did Crime Watch, you know, and all those things that I brought up before, it just was terrifying. And when it gets to the point where you can rewatch it now and you can kind of see, okay, I'm sure I should have known this was a hoax. Honest God, I haven't clue the time I was watching. I'd say a lot. I could see how people were duped. Yeah, and I mean, I just, I had never seen it. So um, so I have to say there's something to be said to, to watch it for nostalgia factor and kind of, you know, taking it with a pinch, massive pinch of salt. But interesting to see all the elements they pulled together in in one broadcast or in one pre-taping rather that looked like a live broadcast it was certainly before its time uh can't ever be replicated again uh i definitely i was reminded of the blair witch project so it's so long before that the only thing i regret is that i didn't see it at the time and that was only because we only had two tv channels so we didn't have the bbc um um, yeah, no, we didn't. So uh, I would love to have seen it actually happen because that would have been magic. It was magic. It was magic. If you're going to watch this, do not watch it with your kids. <laughs> mm, I don't know. Kids aren't scared as easily anymore because they've seen it all, really. But well, I guess if you have an... If there was nothing else on, we watched this because it was on. Right. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Did you know about and it beforehand? It was none of this video and did you know, you know, we would have known if we were getting a video. Did you know about it beforehand? Did you hear My dad about knew it? that it was on and he said okay. that might be an interesting thing to watch on Halloween. Oh. Because we get the radio times and we used to mark out the things that we were going to watch so there'd be no fights. <laughs> so we'd have them marked out so that uh, there'd be no arguments over what we get to watch. And, you know, because in those days, you get to watch it once and there was no hope of ever seeing it again. It would be aired once, it would be aired three or four times. And if you weren't watching it, then you'd never see it. But as I said, this was at the end of our trick-or-treating and our bomb firing 
for that Halloween night and we were back in the house. We were wearing our pajamas. We were kind of winding down and then we got incredibly wound up. <laughs> but it was a brilliant Halloween. It was just fantastic. And would you watch it again with Ferg for Nostalgia Factor? Probably, yeah. Probably. Cool. All right, and that's it. And the only thing I recommend is that you just go to YouTube and, and just look back on everybody's take. So everyone has an interview about it. Everybody has a story about it. Everyone has a point of view. And I loved listening to the YouTubers or the TV people who have fond, which is weird to say, memories of it. That, um, that just really remember shaking in their boots and still watch it again. And that's the magic of, of terror and horror and Halloween. Fantastic. All right. I okay. hope you enjoy Ghost Watch and uh, tune in soon for more exciting episodes <laughs> of Dance That Rock. That's right. Soon. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Sharita. Goodbye. Thank you, Jason. See you.